You know, um, I've done this before, and I, I, you know, sometimes I get a feeling, sometimes I don't get the feeling. You know, every time, I, I'm, um, a lot of y'all know, uh, let me go back. My name is Tony, I'm a great recovery now, alcoholic and drug addict. And I'm dealing with a health issue. I'm on dialysis. And so Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I get up 5.30 in the morning. I go to treatment. And they always ask me these questions. And these questions are like, uh, one of them is, have you had any shortness of breath? And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? I've never had that. And I woke up this morning with shortness of breath. Now, I don't know if it's from me being a little nervous. Or I'm going to go back like they're going to say, hey, there's something really wrong with you. But uh, who knows? Who knows? So what I, I decided to do, because I'm just up here being this guy, you know, maybe if I put this jacket on. Maybe I'll look more believable, you know. I heard somebody say that. I heard a comment, Miss Cindy. I heard that. And so, yeah, we have been in this uh, homeboy um, series and Steve and Kaysen did such an amazing job, and I love uh, what they brought, the nostalgic feeling that home brings. It you know, reminds me of growing up. Um, as I was going over everything this week, uh, there's Lord Byron. And I was thinking about this today. I should have probably looked up who Lord Byron is. Does anybody know who Lord Byron is? Poet, okay. All right, I know I've heard his name before, but I wasn't sure. I'm, 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 so what's funny about this, I'm using his, his words, and it could have been anybody. I could have found out Lord Byron was this horrible person. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting him, and I'll, that would have been really embarrassing. <laughs> but he says, he says this. Home, that I, he said this description of home. It states that home is the abiding place of affections. To me, this sums it up. And so when I think about home and what Kaysen and what Steve had talked about, I have just all these ideas and these uh, feelings of what was home for me. And, um, you know, I was, I was very fortunate. I've had some things happen to me, but I was very fortunate in the growing up part. And I'm going to get my guy. He's going to be on point tonight. Would you go to that first picture, please? First picture. Hey, we are a weld oil machine. <laughs> All right. All right. So here's my first home that I remember. This is 1416 Kingsley Avenue in Dayton, Ohio. And so I grew up, it was me, my mom, my brother. Um, I love this place. It's funny what we remember. You know, what I can remember when I was growing up there, I would take out a tricycle. I don't know if y'all know what those things, and it's, I had one that was really, really low to the ground. I had to be three or four. And I can remember, you know, and what's so crazy about this, I don't remember even if my older brother was with me. But I would literally go outside, get on that tricycle, and ride the block. And it was a big block. And I'm talking about so at such an early age. And I can remember just how much joy I had riding that tricycle around. Thinking, I mean, I, I even felt grown back then. <laughs> and then, you know, from that same house is where I met my stepdad, who's a very, very important part of the man I am today. I was very fortunate. My dad didn't leave. I never really knew him, but I was graced by a stepdad that came in. 
and he just showed me what it meant to be a man. And he did a lot of it growing up through his silence. We really, really didn't communicate a lot all the way through my high school. It's not to college to actually became, we developed a stronger relationship. Um, but growing up, he was that stable presence that really, um, he shaped me. And as I remember this house, I also remember my, um, it's my last faint memory of my father. At least I saw him one more time after that. But this, and I don't really, like a vision of him is not in it. What I remember is that there was some screaming and some yelling, some things being broken. And I remember seeing these lights. And um, it's funny what you remember. It really is. Let's go on to the second slide. Yeah, so, so this is my high school house. So a lot is going on in between here. So you can imagine that um, my mom, who was that single mom, and that was her first house that she did on her own with her two sons. She got pregnant with my brother at 18. She had me at 21, but then she decided to go back to school, and she became a doctor. And so home has always been these two different worlds for me. And one aspect, I see home in this nostalgic way, like you have mom around, there's you know, so much going on. She's cooking and cleaning and helping. Well, that's not my story at all. My mom was always trying to make our life better, which I resented her for, <laughs> which is, you know, you get to know me better, you might understand that. But I was really angry that she, was not, <laughs> that she wasn't home. But she was doing it to give us a better life. And so those, that's my high school years. That's freshman year to, to, to 12th grade I spent in that house. And man, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. It worked so well with my ego. It made me feel okay. I was one of the cool kids. Um, I've told my mom since then, she never knew about this. So in my senior year, my parents went out of town. We had the two biggest parties, I'm gonna say in school history. I mean, they were amazing. And we were so, um, back then, we were businessmen back then, so we charged some shells to get into this party. And the reason why you paid, believe it or not, why did you pay? Well, look at that, Jennifer's right on point. We would, have, we would provide a keg. So people would come over, man, and it was a cold as that. That cold as that and the whole house was just filled with people. And it was nuts until the cops came and shut it all down. And we, and we, and we did that twice. And I just loved growing up at that time. I mean, I'm not somebody who has a story like high school was miserable for me. High school was amazing for me in a lot of ways. I did still feel really off, but I had an amazing high school, my amazing years in high school with sports, with women. And, you know, that leads to the other part of um, home. So in that house, I had one of my first girlfriends. And, you know, funny the things you remember, you know, and I, I made some decision choices, and I don't have to go into too much details for y'all to figure it out, but we made some decision choices together that has changed my life forever and sticks with me today. Uh, we did some things in that house, man, that, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of doing something, you don't actually see or understand the effect of what you're doing. We had to make a decision at 14 and 15 years old that 14 and 15 year old kids probably shouldn't be making. 
I, you know, I, I, that never completely goes away. That never completely goes away. And um, sometimes I wonder how she's doing. How does she live with that decision? And so that was home, though. So it's another version of just home, man. This place where we go where, where, his, where uh, Lord Byron is saying works. It's a place of abiding affections where there is love, where there is joy. But there's always a certain level of pain. Can we go on to the next slide? Ah. Can anybody recognize this? Who called it? Texas Tech. This is Texas Tech University. This is Sneed Hall. It's the original campus on a Texas Tech uh, property. That's where I lived my first year. It's like the oldest campus, so there's like nothing in it. There's no AC. There was no, uh, the advantages, there were also no cameras. All the other new dorms had cameras. So we got to have a lot more fun in Sneed than you might have had in one of the other halls that they had there at Texas Tech. And man, did I have a great time. You know, Texas Tech, you know, when I was, when I was headed to Texas Tech, when I was going to this home, um, I, I was very, very nervous. And I was going to get in the car and drive to Lubbock, which is about a nine-hour ride from here. And I had my best friend riding with me, and uh, I'm just seeking to see. And he said something so um, amazing. He said, Tony, listen, I know you're scared. You're going to go in there. You're going to be in about four or five days. You're going to be laying around that place like you've always lived there. You know, and he was exactly right. I had left my childhood home, and that had become my home, and I quickly got comfortable. A lot of things happen in college. A lot of good things, a lot of bad things. I would not change any of it. It also shaped me who I am today, but it also was like a, um, if you can imagine a giant warning sign, like warning, 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 this might not go well. <laughs> That's what college was to me. And I would have never have thought that. Even, even when I was there, I was like, nah, man, I'm cool, man. It's going to be all right. You know, I, I, I can handle all this. You know, just things that are just happening. I'm young. We'll get through it. And so I'm there in college. And my GPA, I was always, uh, and it has nothing to do with me, proud of the genes of my mom and my father. I've been blessed. The school has been fairly natural to me. So my grades went 3-9, 3-5, 2-9, to them asking me to go to college someplace else to build back up, to get back into school. And so I'm going, I, I'm, my mom has no idea of this too. This is uh, the cunning, baffling, manipulating part of a drug addict and alcoholic. We can tell stories. So she sends me back up to school and I'm at University Place now, which is right across the street from, from that picture there. And she thinks I'm going back to sign up for tech and, I, and I'm not, I'm not. I'm going to this military base. They want me to take classes at the military base to get back into school. And so, yeah, I probably understand now, and I'm not really making really wise decisions. And so, um, it was during the war. This is back in 1989, 90. Though this would have been like 90, 91. And so when you go on a military base, they actually doing a war, even though the war's way overseas, they like check every car that comes, on, on, comes onto the property and they searched my car. We didn't have anything, but I had a bunch of seeds and stems. And they really put us to it for that. I mean, I'd never um, been in that type of trouble. 
And I can remember just being so scared. They held us for interrogating us for about three hours. And they made us make some decisions and choices that happened. And again, I'm not gonna go on the detail, but that rides with me too. And um, I can remember just being covered in fear and going back to my home at University Place. And uh, my best friend lived right next door, another best friend. And, and in these rooms, we were fortunate, but most of these rooms that you have, they're, they're set up for two people. We were spoiled. We had our own room. But that night, I couldn't even sleep in my room. I had to knock on his door. And I had to go sleep in the other bed. And I can just remember, man, just thinking, man, you know, what's going on? How did it, how did it get to here? It's funny now when I look at all that, Michelle, I look at this, you know, there's a place in Bill's story. And Bill says every morning he had to get up and drink a tumbler full of gin and a six-pack in order to start the day. The next line is, then it got gradually worse. So you can imagine how bad that was. We've, it's not even close to how bad in the direction it was going. And so um, uh, some things happened. I called my dad, told him what was going on. He was like, man, you get on a plane right now. You come back to Houston. So I came back to Houston, man, and I um, got my first place. Man, I'm in an apartment over in the old Greens Point area. Before Greens Point was called Guns Point, Greens Point was kind of nice. <laughs> and and it, it was amazing, man. But, you know, I was, again, I had been either living at home with my parents, going to school, you're living alone, but you have a lot of people around you. You normally have a roommate, so I wasn't alone. I can remember those first few nights of being in that apartment, man. And, um, you know, again just being very terrified by the situation. But just like Darren had told me about school, the same thing happened in my apartment. In a few days, man, you get to where it's comfortable and home becomes home again. Well, you know, as y'all can tell, I might not have been on a winning streak as far as my behavior and decisions. <laughs> they kept getting a little bit worse as time went on. And it's baffling. I grew up in a pretty, what I thought was a pretty stable home. Yes, I had my struggles, but it was a pretty stable home. I was a decent athlete. I was a decent student. I didn't get in much trouble. Now, the truth was, the reason why I wasn't getting in trouble, because I'm really good at hiding who I am. I didn't even smoke weed until I was 18. It was either 17, late 17 or early 18 was the first time I smoked weed. But we had been drinking since I left Town ball, in town ball when that was seventh and eighth grade. Now we weren't drinking a lot, but we were we had started that weekend kind of drinking beers, thinking it was real cool. And that had gone on. And now, you know, I'm 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 at my own place, man, and decisions and choices are, are getting and um, are getting a little stranger and I can't figure it out. It's like, why are these things going wrong with me? You know, my family thought I had the worst luck. Because they didn't really know what I was doing. They just heard me, like, losing my keys, you know, going to jail for not having your tags right, you know, uh, never keeping up with your insurance. Mom, I messed up. Can you help out with rent? I mean, things like this went on and on and on. And it got to be where I was more and more confused. 
Because in a lot of aspects of my life, man, if you give me a problem, I can work it out. I will figure it out. In all these other areas of my life, I was able to fix a lot of things. But when it came to this situation, it wasn't being fixed. And so what eventually happened is that the homes that I stayed in changed um, for a good period of my life. Can we get to the next slide? So this became my home. I don't know if a lot of y'all in the audience know what that is. I know some of y'all definitely know where that is, especially some of y'all that are a little older. That's, that's 1301, that's the old jail. I was in that jail the first time um, when I had to go to jail and stay was 90 days. Man, that was a long time. I was saved there and it, it worked out. The hard part from that, I had tried everything to change my behavior, which my behavior, again, my name is Tony, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and drug addict. So I tried a lot to change that behavior over the year. I really wanted to stop. I did not want to be a failure. I never grew up thinking, hey, I'm going to jail. I never grew up thinking like, I'm going to hurt everybody today. It's funny the perception that we have, and I can do it now, now that I've been sober for a minute. I can do it sometimes people in recovery too. We have this vision of who they are, and we think like they're going out trying to do wrong. Or that they don't care, or they must just not never think. And that was never the case for me. I never wanted to hurt my family. I never wanted to hurt my kids. It never even occurred to me like, hey, Tony, you know, um, if you make the decision to use tonight, you know, you're really going to affect the way your daughter's life, your parents' life, and everybody loves you. Um, for some reason, there's a haziness, man, that comes up with us that's talked about a lot. Um, we have this peculiar, they call it a peculiar mental tryst. And we'll figure out that's not going to happen this time. Well, one night, in that same bit of thought, you know, that happened. And... Um, the police pulled me over. I can remember being in the back of their car. I can remember just crying uncontrollably. Um, at this time, and this is not, no, I'm not in college anymore. This is not even a young adult. I'm 31, 32 years old. So you can imagine the pain that has happened from where I started to where I've gotten now. And I'm in this, and I, and I'm in this situation, and I'm in the back of that cop car, and I can remember just you know, I'd ask God, you know, I wasn't sure. When things like this happen, you start using faith, obviously. But I wasn't sure there was a God anymore. So I said a prayer. This is a week prior before going to jail. I said, God, if you're out there and you're real, please let my life change. Five days later, my life changed. And I ended up there. And uh, I had been to jail numerous of times. That jail was not new to me, um, but I never had to go and stay. It was always a bond hearing, personal reconnaissance, whatever it was. But this time I had to go and stay. Um, so I get out after, after 90 days. I'm all Christianized. Man, I'm on top of the world. Jesus has entered into my heart. And I smoke crack a few days later. And what a place to be. You know, what a feeling that is. So I catch the same case one year later and have to go back. And by God's grace, you know, me and Steve, uh, he was grateful enough, took me to the prisons with him the other night. And I'm going to tell you all something. I'm, I, I, the world knows, or part of the, whoever knows me knows this about me, but I'm going to say it to you all. I'm a three-time felon. But I'm a three-time felon, like I told those guys. By God's grace, I've never had to leave that place. So I have this story about I've only been to jail. 
I don't even know some of the real stories that other men and women in this room have been through. But for me, it was my story. And I got blessed, and they asked me to do four and a half months in Harris County Jail. And so as that relates to home, and I was thinking as we are going through this week, actually talking to a friend of mine who's also spent a lot of time actually in prison, you know, what does home mean? When I was in Harris County Jail, my home meant that bottom bunk in the corner of a 30-man cell. I can even remember telling somebody, hey, I'm going to go home to my bunk. And so when we have all these thoughts of home, we don't ever consider some of the homes that we end up in that we never, ever thought were going to be our home. I never would have considered that. I never would have thought for a thousand years my home was going to be at the bottom bunk, man. And I don't know, some of y'all have been there to try to explain jail. It's, 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 um, it's unique, we'll say that. But that Harris County, they have like these rooms and they're probably half the, not even half the size. What, Timmy, a quarter the size of this room? And there's like 30 of us in there. And everybody has a bunk. And not only there are 30 bunks, Harris County suffers from overcrowding. So you have 30 bunks, but you have people laying in between each bunk. And you where you do all your business, 13 to 1 was cool. 7 to 1 is a lot worse, because 7 to 1 where you do your business, it's in the center of the, in the, center of the room. Like, oh, there's nothing to protect you. You have to go do everything right there in the center of the room, and your shower's right next to it. It's one of the most dehumanizing places you could ever go to. Some of it's fair, for sure, but it's something that's not, it's unique, it's not normal. But it was home. So go on to the next slide, please. Huh. Any of y'all know about these places? So this is where you live once you get felonies. I'm giving y'all some hints out there. Any of y'all want to try it? Because you're going to go to apartment complex, you can go to other places. They're like, no, we don't take felons. You cannot live here. But a nice, decent place to live is an in-town suites. They don't check your record. You're allowed there. It's a decent place. What's funny, all the other felons know this. So it looks like a nice, casual, normal place. There's a lot going on in in-town suites. A lot going on. And again, man, you know, at this time, you know, I have a kid now. And I had split custody, and I had her on the weekend, so... <sighs> that was my daughter's home. Funny the things you remember, we had a lot of fun in those rooms, me and her. To her, she felt like it was a vacation. It's uh, just funny the things you remember, man. I felt out of place, but you know, um, some things that I think just being somebody that's in recovery, man, and prior to getting in recovery, you learn how to deal with some things, man, that uh, you never thought you could deal with. There's a certain level of manipulation that I'm able to give to myself where anything is okay. You know, the delusion that I lived in then, and I'm telling you, I still live in delusion today, but the delusion I lived in then was amazing. You know, um, again, I'm, you know, I'm not a kid. I'm in my 30s, and that's home. That's not only home. I didn't pay for it. 
And some people like say, yeah, Tony, you're so blessed, you're so lucky, and I am. I'm very fortunate, man. I have to go through a lot of things other people have to go through. But let me tell you, as that affects your insides, you can play it off, man, but it hurts. My mom has this saying, and she loves it. She was saying it as a joke. She'd always say, excuse my language, grown-ass man. And she meant that, like, I cannot believe you were acting like this. But at the same time, she helped me all through those times, man, and um. I shared this before. We would go to the store with two baskets, and I would get my stuff, and she would get her stuff, and she would pay her bill and step off to the side. And when they finished with my stuff, my mom would have to come back and pay for my groceries. And we would take them home. We had a little small two-stove in there and a little bitty refrigerator, you know, but it was home. It was home. So... Uh, we're going to go to the scripture. Could you put the scripture up, please? Uh, I don't even know if y'all can see that. Hey, Michelle, come here. Will you please read that? Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, fa your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. So what is home? You know, I know when it's serious thought, man, we all have these feelings of what home is. And um, over these three weeks, I had to really challenge myself, like, Tony, what is home? You know, what is home? What does home mean? And for a lot of us, it means those first couple of houses or that dorm when you're in college. But a lot of us, home might mean something different. Can you go to the last picks? Man, that's home. You know what's strange about all that and seeing, and seeing pictures like that? You know, I forget sometimes because, you know, I, my sobriety is 12, 3, 7. I've lived a different life for a number of years now. And I forget what home is. I forget what folks, man, that um, have to live in certain types of homes. And I don't know if I missed a slide, but if you can go back to that Salvation Army slide, yes. This is where it all changed. This was home. That's the Salvation Army ARC in Houston, Texas. And so if you can see, that's a room that might be 10 foot wide or 10 foot long, whatever, but those beds, you can notice, we can touch each other's beds. Those beds are never empty. It's a place with 140 men, and everybody always needs a bed there. And I, that was my home for nine months. Tell you this, my life has never been the same since. You know, we, we, uh, places like sober living and treatment, you know, those are folks' homes. Some of y'all are here tonight from SLA, and I know it's hard for you to imagine, but it's home. And, you know, that was home for me and my good friend, Timmy. That's where we met. 
It's funny what you remember. I learned more there in a little bit of time, man, about what it means to be a man. And it wasn't from the nice things they said to me. It's from the truth that they told me. And they actually told me, Tony, this is your home. Because part of my arrogance was like, this ain't my home. This is just where I'm staying for now. Because I'm going to get my life together. Y'all don't know me. I'm going to get back in my own house and have my own stuff. This is not my home. Y'all call it y'all's home. But in reality, man, that was my home. And they were telling me, that's Tony, we don't want to hear all that crap. You're going to go upstairs to your room just like the rest of us. And quit talking about your kids. We're tired of you talking about your kids. You ain't been a father for years. You need to learn to take care of Tony before you can even think about being a father. Who wants to hear things like that, man? Who wants to hear things? I've already been in pain for all these years. Like, guys, I'm already really hurting. You want to just keep kicking me? I am so grateful today for those kicks. I'm so grateful for the time, man, because I wanted to leave every week. I didn't want to stay. If you can imagine 140 men, most of us, I don't want to generalize, 60% of us were addicted to crack cocaine. And that's a whole different type of personality. Not saying anybody can't smoke crack. When you smoke crack over another years, you develop a certain personality. And so it was a lot of that. And there was like four preachers. And we ran a multi-million dollar business that was flowing every day. We did work therapy. So when you see those trucks go by, when you see those Salvation Army stores, when you see, I mean, we made a million dollars every month at the Salvation Army. People don't understand how big the Salvation Army really is. It's the second most known name in the world. Coke is number one, Salvation Army is number two. And it's just a place that never ends. And, but it's also a place, man, where I had to go to bed on time. Get up on time, they made us breakfast. You go to work. You work 45 hours a week. You had lunch. You had dinner. You had your aftercare. And thank God, Michelle, I had an option, Michelle, to get on a van and go to a meeting. Yeah. Life's never been the same here, but, you know, um, it's home. And so when I look at some of those other pictures of where people are living today and the things that I go to, I love one of, my, one of the jobs I get to do now is that I get up this morning, every Saturday morning, I get to go down to the recenter. Now the recenter is a beautiful, great place. If you're living inside the recenter, Miss Cindy, it's pretty nice. But right outside the recenter, that's home for a lot of people. You know, there's a story in the back of the book, and it's the acceptance story, and we all know it. Uh, if you're in recovery, you know acceptance is the root of all our problems. Instead of, changing the, instead of changing what's wrong in the world, change what's wrong with you. It's hard to accept some of the places that we're staying. It's hard to accept where home is. But when I got into acceptance, what was really going on, what was home... I don't know if it made it better, but at least made it real. Places like uh, Salvation Army, Harris County Jail, if you're on the street, foster care is one that we don't even think about that, that much. There's a lot of kids who call home different places like every month. So, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia when we think about home. There's a lot of great feelings when we think about home. Will you put up the uh, humility 
So one of my favorite people in the world is Dr. Bob. He's the founder of, uh, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, I don't know if anybody can, people see that? Y'all can see it? Okay, I'm gonna read it. And this, he had this on a plaque on his, on his desk every day. And it says this, humility is, perpetual, humility is perpetual quietness of the heart. It is to have no trouble. It is to never be fretted or vexed, irritable or sore, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It's to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home inside of myself where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around us is seemingly trouble. That's where my home needs to be. And looking at all this over this last week, what I realized, home is kind of where you're at. But if I carry this with me, nobody can steal that. Like I said before, a lot of times we never imagined where our homes are going to be. It never crossed my mind the homes I were going to have. But when I connect with God, we do some work with some homeless. You talk to them on the streets, and sometimes you feel so bad. A lot of those folks, man, are okay. It might look tough to us on the outside, man, but they've made it their home. They got an acceptance in it. We might think it's weird. We might think it's crazy. And there might be a lot of other issues that have them there. But home is where I'm at. It's where I tie in close to God. Let's put up the last slide and close this thing out. So this is home. When I was at the Salvation Army, they brought me here. And I was given a new home. A home amongst my people. And when I got here, y'all don't look like my people. I'm like, who are these guys in this nice neighborhood? This does not look right. I had come from a nice neighborhood, but it had been a long time since I've been to neighborhoods like that. My neighborhoods had switched. And I came here on a van driving through all these houses, man. I walked in here and we did something called celebration. And man, I was home. Mercy Street became my home. So wherever you're living today, if it is in your old childhood house or you got the house of your dreams or things are different right now and you live in a place that you never thought you could live, we have a God that loves us so much that we can just connect with him, he will turn that to a happy home.